You're going to have to please excuse me. I've got a bit of a croaky throat and uh, hopefully that won't get in the way of what we're going to be look at, uh, what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray and uh, commit the word to the Lord. Great God, we do thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you seek to move us from where we are today into the greatness that you have for us. Constantly, that's where you want to take us. You want to move us closer to yourself. We thank you for that. Great God, we ask that we would listen to you today and that your spirit would speak, that he would stir within us the truth and it would be the truth that sets us free, your truth, because your truth is the life we need. We thank you for that. We ask that you would lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, forward. Now, that's the theme for the year. And, and as you can see, the arrow is pointing in a direction, and it means, you know, that way. That's where we're going, forward. And uh, what I want to do when I get the opportunity to preach over these uh, coming weeks, you know, between Liverpool and here, I, I want us to look at characteristics that enable us actually to move forward, to go in that direction. We'll look at, you know, how a person should be living for Jesus to move forward. Um, So we're going to be looking at following Jesus. That's where we're going to start, following Jesus, okay? Now, here's a photo of the Olympics. I'm sure you've all watched it. Here's just no one, okay? Martin didn't watch it. I watched a lot of it, okay? I watched a lot of it. And the interesting thing about it is that you can tell supporters of Australia. And so they pan through the... uh, the, 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 the grandstands or the, the, the track side and you can tell those people, you know, I mean, they're wearing the green and gold and then you go, well, you know, Brazil's green and gold. So, you know. But then you see, you know, the, the, the kangaroo or the flag with the kangaroo, the boxing kangaroo and you go, oh, they're the Aussies, they're the Aussies. But you then see the coloured faces and the coloured hair and, and you can tell that they're following Australia. I loved the interviews when Channel 7 was doing of the parents afterwards when they speak about their kids that have, you know, won something or given their best. They didn't even have to win. But you can, you can see the passion of following after those who did them well. And I suppose what I want to do over these coming weeks is look at, you know, ways of going forward. What, this, what, is it, what do we need to know about and what does it reveal to be a God follower? And so we're going to look today at following Jesus, but I'm going to look at things like how we live like Jesus or how we imitate Jesus and then how we listen to Jesus and how we talk to Jesus, how we walk with Jesus or how we even work with Jesus. And that's the direction. Now, the reason I believe God wants us to look at these characteristics is because it's easy to lose track of what that really looks like. Now, Jess, you you spoke about your environment. And I talked with some of the guys this morning after the service, after I preached, and they're living in that. Some of the tradies that are there, it's constant bombardment from um, (coughs) swearing and wrong photos and bagging each other out. And, And they say it's heaviness, it's a heaviness, exactly what you spoke about. You know, but we have to be a light in the midst of that. We have to be able to stand up and go, yeah, but I'm a God follower. So what does that look like? And what do we have around us as God followers to actually allow us to pursue that course of standing up for him? How do we keep the main thing the main thing? What is it? 
How do we not get distracted by that which is around us? How how do we not get stuck? Because sometimes that's what it's like. We just get stuck in the midst of it. You know, in my case, what I've often found is that there's this tension that occurs between the doing and the being. And and often in my life, because my workplace, I I don't hear much swearing in my workplace, by the way, as a pastor. (laughs) Praise God. But I'm around Christians. But, you know, my temptation is often just to fall into the fact that I just do Christian things. And there's a big difference between doing and being. We're told what they're human beings. We're not human doings. But it's so easy just to do religious things. Just do religious things. And if I was to ask a person outside on the street to give me a picture of what a genuine follower of Jesus might look like, we'd probably get answers like, well, you know, they go to church on Sunday. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, or they might read their Bible. Yeah, yeah, I believe a follower of Jesus probably reads their Bible. Or maybe they pray. Now, you know, these things in and on themselves are not wrong depictions. These are good things. That's what Christians should do. But these are just some of the things that Jesus' followers do. But is there more to what Jesus meant when he was talking about being his follower? that. Is there more to what Jesus was talking about? I think it'd be best summed up by saying we're going to be looking at what it means to be a follower of Christ more so than what it means to do Christian things. I don't know about you, but you might be tired with the amount of things you've got to do. The last thing Jesus wants you to do is just do more. He wants you to be, not do. Okay, now I'll try and explain this. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, the offer to follow him went forth from his mouth to all who would listen. And these are some of the things he said. First, he said to his disciples in Matthew 419, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't ask you to go out and be fishers of men first and then say, now come along. He said, no, I'm in front. Follow after me and I'll make you those fishers of men. He even said to the crowd in Mark 8.34, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Get your priorities right, he says, and follow me. Lay down, take up what I've done, and follow after me. You see, Jesus ended his conversation with Peter on the beach even. And you probably know the story in John 21 verse 19, you know, where he tells Peter, you've got to feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He said this, and basically he's saying to Peter, you've got to care for the church. That's your role, Peter. You've got to care for the church. But he closes that whole conversation, you'll notice, by saying, Follow me. Just two words. He ends his conversation to Peter. Follow me. Yes, lots of things you've got to do. Tend, care for for the church, do all this. Peter, follow me. And this is the invitation I believe Jesus has to every one of us. This is the invitation to you. And I suppose it's the challenge that we have this morning, following him. Are you following him? It's the invitation he has to us today for both me and you. But it's so much more, I believe, than an invitation to attend church on Sundays. So much more than just attending church on Sundays. Or even going to a life group during the week. So much more than that. It's so much more than completing a Bible reading each day or saying a prayer after it. Now, don't get me wrong, all those activities in and of themselves aren't bad. In fact, they're good. And I say do it, okay? They're excellent, in fact, for Christian growth. But when Jesus said, follow me, he was inviting us into more than just doing stuff. More than just doing stuff. 
And I think the, you know, a perfect illustration of this is marriage. When I, come, when I came to be married to Fiona, you know, I've got the ring on the finger, we said our vows. Marriage is more than just doing stuff. I mean, Fiona loves a cup of tea. She loves peppermint tea. I'm a coffee drinker. You know, and making cups of tea is a little bit extra. You know, I hate the tea bag before it. I hate the tea bag after it. It gets in the sink. I'm always the one throwing it out. How come tea, tea drinkers don't put the tea bags in the bin? Anyway, that's a generalisation, isn't it? Maybe it's just my wife. But you know what? I know she loves a cup of tea. And I will say to her, you want a cup of tea, Fee? And she'll go, yeah. Because it's about relationship, isn't it? That's what it's about. I know she loves to be able to sit and have a hot cup of tea. And I know, even though it's a pain for me to get it, I want to give to her, I want to serve her, I want her to be excited. Now, that's only a cup of tea. Multiply that by all the other things that we do in marriage. But what I'm trying to say is that marriage is about relationship. And that's what following Jesus is all about. It's about relationship. Sure, doing stuff is how following Jesus might be worked out, but I believe what he invites us into is so much more. So much more. Here's a story. It comes from Luke 18, 18 to 24. And you can see this is Jesus' response to a man who wanted to follow God. Here it goes. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that's an interesting call in itself. He calls him the good teacher. He calls Jesus the good teacher. And Jesus actually says, that's interesting. You've actually got this right. You must believe that I am part of God, something to do with that, because you've actually called me good and only God is good. So, okay, I'm hearing you, Jesus is saying. You've got that heart going. And Jesus says, so you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witnesses. Honour your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, it's not a bad question this guy's asking for, is it? He's saying, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I live with God forever? You're the closest I've met, Jesus. I think you're the man. You're the good teacher. Tell me what it is. And Jesus comes back with the Ten Commandments. He says to him, well, and reads to him at least five. So he's got half the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting what this guy says. He says, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, I think he's doing pretty good here. I don't know if I've kept all of those. And, and, and I said in the first service, I don't think I've kept all nine of them, except for the adultery thing. But no one picked me up on that. Jesus actually says, if you look at a person with lust in your eyes, you committed adultery. So maybe I haven't kept all ten. Pun? Well, he talks about murder too. If you hate someone, then you've murdered someone. <laughs> I think I've probably missed out on all 10. I've done them all. I, have, I mean, I have not fulfilled any of those. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's a sad case, but this man can actually turn around and go, you know what, I've actually ticked five of these boxes. I've kept all of these from my youth. No, I don't think I could say that. But this man is pretty good, isn't he? Interesting what Jesus says to him. Okay, and here we go. You can read the rest. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Remember, that was his question. How do I find um, eternal life? And he says, 
come follow me. Come follow me. But when he heard these things, this is the man, he he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said these words, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this story is about wealth, but I don't know if that's really, you know, you could talk about many different things in this story, in the light of this, because things capture our attention and capture our heart. And Jesus was telling this man that following after God's more than just fulfilling rules and regulations and wealth. See, this man, he's come and he said, I've ticked all the boxes. I've done all these, he says, since my youth. But Jesus is saying it's more than rules and regulations. It's more than procedures and laws. Now, this man was pretty good at doing these and he believed he ticked all the boxes, but Jesus says it's about relationship. It's about the relationship that you have with me. Jesus is asking this man, where's your heart focused? Where is your heart focused? What captivates your senses, he's saying. You see, what captivates this man's senses is his wealth. Isn't it? You can see that there. That's why he walked away sad. Because it's his wealth that captivates his senses. Captivates his heart. So Jesus challenges the man to get rid of what captures his heart. He says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Oh, wow, that hurt him. That hurt him. Then come and follow me. Get rid of that which is the baggage and come and follow me, Jesus says. Put me back into that first position and come follow me. Jesus is saying, says about about relationships. He's saying, where is your heart focused? Inheriting eternal life is not found in doing things, but in having your heart attuned to Jesus and following him. This man was able to do lots of good things, but his heart was not in the right place. And God's calling all of us to start a new life with the son of the living God. Come and have a conversation with the creator, a relationship with the one who knows how you tick. That's the invitation he's saying. And who knows how to accomplish what he has for you. When I um, sit with those that I mentor, I challenge them with where is God's fingerprints on your life this week or since we last met? Where can I see God's fingerprints on you? What has he been doing in your life that you can say, he's touching me here or he's touching me there? Because that's the journey that God wants you on. He is pushing and forming and molding and making. He's allowing you to go through the rough as well as the highs. He's allowing this so that he can push and mold and make because he wants you in his son's image. He wants you to be like Christ. You see, following Jesus is about doing life with Jesus. It's about connecting and chatting with him and and being prompted by him, being empowered by the Spirit. That's what the Christian life's all about. It's about relationship where he wants to take you, not where you want to go. It might not be where you want to go. It's where he wants to take you, what he wants to form in you. It's a relationship of hope and freshness and freedom and fulfilment, and it's true life. Is that where your Christian life is? Is that the journey God has you on? It's what Jesus called the abundant life. And often I find many Christians not living that which he offers. 
Now, I'd be mistaken if I said that Jesus calls them something easy and trouble-free. I don't imagine, Jess, where you are is easy. Not at all. And I don't know about all your workplaces, but maybe it's not easy. But that's where he's called you. So what does he do in the midst of it? Yes, you see, the thing about Christianity, it's not about ticking boxes. And re- but I think religion is. Religion's about ticking all the boxes. Christianity is not. I'd be lying if I said following Jesus is easy. In fact, Jesus said that as the, as the world treated him, so it would treat his followers. Matthew 5.11, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's because of him they're doing that. Wow. You see, being a follower of Jesus is not easy, but it's everything you truly desire deep down inside you. I believe that. It's everything that is deep down inside you. It's what you were made for. Because deep within us, we know there's more to life than this. There is more to life than this. Let me just tell you something. When I was about 36, I'd been in ministry for about 15 years. I was the pastor at Cronulla Baptist Church. I'd been a Christian for about 21 years. And I remember very clearly sitting in my office with my hands and my head in my hands, and I remember saying these words. There must be more to life than this. Now, I'm the minister. I'm preaching three times on a Sunday. I've got two churches in two separate places, two two, uh, campuses. And here's the pastor sitting at the table going, there must be more to life than this. I was in a bad place, a very bad place. And the crazy thing is God loves to do this all the time. Now, I'm not saying this will happen to you, but this is what happened to me. I'll back up a bit. I grew up in a church that said, if you speak in tongues, it's of the devil. That was my upbringing. I was anti-tongues. That was my teaching. In fact, and I've said this before, my understanding of the Trinity, and I preached about the Trinity, and I preached about the Holy Spirit, but more for me, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. The Spirit really didn't have an involvement in my life. And I'm sitting there with my hands in my head, head in my hands, and I said, there must be more to life than this. And in the quietness and stillness of my office, I blurted out in this tongue that I did not even know. And you know what my response was? <laughs> what was that? What was that? And I was totally confused. Push that aside, that was just weird. There must be more to life. This did it again. And that set me on the journey of finding out who my God was. I did not know him in his completeness, in Trinity. And it's the Trinity that actually revives us. It's the Trinity that revives us. You see, I was in a bad place and it was in that down there, that terrible place of lostness and just doing stuff, doing religion, that I actually had a spiritual awakening. And I found my God in all his fullness. And it was wonderful. And I suppose this is what I'm talking about here. 
See, when you become a true follower of Jesus, you finally experience truth and real life that resonates with your being, not in your doing. Christ provides the answer to our longing questions. He fills in those missing gaps and we find peace within. But in becoming a true follower of Jesus, your life is completely turned upside down, which is what happened to me. Completely turned upside down when I start to meet the Trinity in all his fullness. Now, I've got a great illustration of this and I'm going to let you watch it so you don't have to listen to me. Has anyone seen The Matrix? 1999 it came out. The Matrix. It's a great illustration of what we've invited into. We're just going to watch this now. At last. Welcome, Neo. As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. It's an honor to meet you. No. The honor is mine. Please, come, sit. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work. When you go to church. When you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. 
You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Okay, you want to go home and see the rest of the movie? You'll have to. You see, in the movie, the red pill and its opposite, the blue pill, are symbols representing the choice between the blissful ignorance of illusion, which is the blue, and embracing the sometime painful truth of reality, the red. And in the movie, this main character, Neo, is offered the choice between a red pill and a blue pill. The blue pill will allow him to remain in the Matrix, and the Matrix is this fictional computer-generated world. The red pill would lead to his escape out of the Matrix and into the real world. Now, it's only a movie, okay? So let's not get caught up on it. But you know, Jesus invites us into something when he says, follow me, that is the real world. This is what Jesus asks us to follow him. He's the one that will lead us. He says to follow him into the real world, the world that we were originally created for. You see, the real world that was lost at the fall, back in the Garden of Eden, when the first Adam chose to disobey God. But what Jesus invites us back to is the real world brought about by himself through his death and resurrection. Jesus invites us back into realness because of what Christ has done on the cross. Let me show you this. Paul says it this way. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall we be made live again. You see, in Adam we die in this world. In Christ, even though we die in the world, we live a new life, both now and that which is to come. And like in the movie, what is offered to Neo was between what can be seen and what really exists beyond what can be seen. And what Jesus invites us into is to be made alive and to live in a relationship that is not bound by present reality. And this was the thing that got me when I started to under, understand the Trinity. Because the Spirit will speak and organise you in totally different ways than you in your controlled environment would work. God works in us. You see, the movie goes on and Morpheus actually asks Neo this question. He says, do you want to know what the Matrix is? And Because Neo swallows and kind of slowly nods his head. And Morpheus says... 
It's that feeling that you've had all your life. That feeling that something was wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. It's like a splinter in your mind. But what is it, he says? And Morpheus answers it. He says it's the matrix, this present world, he's saying. It's everywhere. It's all around us. Here, even in this room, you can see it in your window or on your television. He says you feel it when you go to work or you go to church or you pay your taxes. It's the world that's been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And that's what the devil has done to us. He's made us think this is the real world. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Neo asks, what's truth? And Morpheus says, that you are a slave, Neo. That you, like everyone else, was born into bondage. You are kept inside a prison that you cannot smell, taste or touch. A prison for your mind. And to me, that is a great explanation of the world that we live in. The devil has done that to us. He has caused us to think this is life in its fullness. But there is so much more. That's why we need to be following Jesus and not following the things of this world. See, the world's a prison and its chains keep us in bondage to it. We get attached to its ways and its thinking and it blinds us not to see beyond the present reality. The truth is, this this world that we live in sucks us into its vortex. It gets all around us. And we get caught up in it. It sucks us into its vortex. And because we live in it, all it has to offer us grows around us and it starts to seduce us. And sadly, this enticing becomes the norm and we end up seeing it as the real thing. But deep within everyone, I believe, there is more. It's what I call the God-shaped hole. Now, I didn't term it that, Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, back in 1650, referred to this God-shaped hole. I want to read it to you, what he had to say. Think about this, 1650. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but there was once in man a true happiness? He's saying, you think about it, we want more. What does that say? Doesn't it say that if we want more, then somewhere in our psyche, in us, We once knew there was more. That's why we're seeking after it. Of which all that we know remains is an empty print and trace. And this he tries, talking about man, to fill with everything around him. Seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Oh, that is so true. Though none can help, since the infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. We have this God-shaped hole within us because we were created in his image. But the fall brought about this emptiness. We think we can fill it with the world. We can't fill it with the world. Only God can fill that God-shaped hole. Yeah, Blaise Pascal had great insight back in 1650. It's the same insight we need today. Because deep down inside each one of us, we know that there's so much more. We know that there's so much more. And that's why Jesus invites us to follow him.
We are going to move forward, but he says, I must be at the front. You must be behind me. You must be making your way towards me. You see, Jesus invites me back into his story of life. That's the history I want to get caught up in. He invites me to come back to what I should be, all that I was made for and what I'd forgotten. He invites me back to real world living, which we cannot see with our human eyes, but which he longs for us to experience. And why do I say that? Because Paul talks about it right here. He says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know, Jess, you are one that stands in your place with one who is an unveiled face of glory. And in your workplace, you stand with an unveiled face of God's glory. That's what you get to display in your workplace to your colleagues that work around you. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And when you follow Jesus, truth becomes known. God invites you to know the truth, to know life, to know the way. And that is found in following Jesus. So let me sum it up for you. Let me sum this up. Why does God invite us to follow him? Well, number one, because of who he is. He is your maker. He is your creator. But there's something we all need to know. He doesn't need you. God does not need you. He can exist perfectly in and of himself without you. But... He chooses to reach out and love you and to call you. How beautiful is that? Isn't that why we worship him this morning? I mean, we get all this abundance and we're loving the life he gives us, but isn't it because he first loved us? He does not need us, but he chooses us. Wow, I can sing about that. I can sing about that. Secondly, because he knows who you are. Wow. That might make it feel a bit scared. He knows who I am. Well, look at this. This is an amazing verse. Psalm 139. Look at this. For you, are cre- for you, that's God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Can, I, can you hear that? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So you can walk around going, I'm wonderful. In Because what God created. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Hmm. I know that full well. The psalmist says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Before you're even a, a twinkle in the eyes of your parents, he knew you and had you written in his book. And he still called you. So don't ever say or think that you're a mistake. You are no mistake. 
God knew you in your unformed substance. And because he knows um, all about you, he wants to do something in you. And here it is. Paul tells us, for those who he foreknew, that's what the psalmist just talked about, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the journey this side of heaven. That's the, the, the fingerprints that God has on your life. He's saying, follow me, but let me push. Let me mould, let me make, let me form you into the image of his son. The uh, message says it this way, and I like it. He, he, uh, Peterson, the writer, says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. That's what he's doing in you. When he says, follow me, that's what he's doing. God desires to shape your life. He desires to form you. He desires to transform you into the image of his son. Stephen read that out, I think. That was the Romans passage. And thirdly, he makes it possible for you to follow him. You see, you and I don't have a hope, actually, to get back into this real world living, except for Jesus. Isn't that true? He takes away the power of sin by sending Jesus to die on the cross, his only son, paying the price of sin and setting you free. And there's that beautiful verse. For God so loved the world. Let me put my name in there and you put your name. For God so loved Ken that he gave Ken his only son. That if Ken believes in him, Ken should not perish but have eternal life. That's how personal this verse gets. That's what he has done for you. And then once you are free from sin's grip, he places the Holy Spirit within you to empower you to live out the life that he desires for you. And he gives you all you need to not only live in this world, but to also experience the real world that he invites you into. You don't have to get up in the morning and go, do I have to do this all over again? Let the veil drop and see what God has for you as you follow him. See, the invitation to follow Jesus is like the invitation that Morpheus offered Neo. Morpheus said, you take the blue pill and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. Our world, your workplace, is made up of people who have swallowed the blue pill. They think this is life, so they're just going to fill it up with as many parties, alcohol, drugs, relationships, whatever they can do to ease that pain. But he says... You take the red pill and you stay in Wonderland and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Isn't that the Christian life? God is constantly amazing me with what he does and how he does it. It's exciting being a Christian. You see, Morpheus was expressing to Nia that there's so much more in true world than which we were made for. And this is Jesus' invitation to you and I. And that's who we are being invited to to follow do you want to follow Jesus into the true world a reality that is far more than our senses express to us you see we live by our senses don't we but I believe what God has for us is far more now it's not mystical or magical but it is supernatural we live in the natural God works at the supernatural and that's what he invites us into the Holy Spirit lives within me and I have 
the supernatural spirit of God in me. And he says, I have a life for you to live. Be my light in the world you live in. You see, Jesus' words to the rich man, if you think about it, he said, life is not found in what you own. That's what he was saying to the rich man, wasn't it? It's not in the money. You're a rich man, but you're struggling. You've got all the money you need, and yet you still want eternal life. It's not found in that, is it? That's what he was saying to the man. And he's saying life's not in found in keeping all the religious rules, in the doing of things. I mean, he kept all five since he was young. It's not about doing religion. It's not about just turning up to church on Sunday. It's not about just reading the Bible in the morning. If you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, for ticking the boxes, you've got it all wrong. Life is found in following Jesus, which means life is found in a living relationship with the living God. It's a living relationship. If you purely just read the Bible because you want to tick the box, you need to break free from that. Read it because it's the, the, the food that gives us the life to live. You need to refine that. You're seeking after him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's what following Jesus is all about. That's me engaging my whole life. Moving forward means following behind the author of life, doesn't it? The author of life. He's the one that has written your name across these 80 years that you're alive. He knows you. He knows where you're at. He knows what your week is like. He knows where he wants to take you. He has it written. He is the author. And he wants you to be following behind him so he can invade your life and take you to the places he wants to take you. I'm going to ask um, the band if they come forward because I want to put it out there for prayer Um, and this is probably where I need to ask uh, about getting real and taking action we like to do that here I love doing that here because you can't take a sermon and just walk out and forget about it by the time you eat lunch you will have forgotten about most everything I've spoken about unless you've written some things down so what does it mean to get real and take action well you you know if you're a follower of Jesus I don't know all of you here this morning you know if you are But if you're not, then Jesus is inviting you to come and follow him. That's the invitation he puts out there. He's the author of your life and he has the answers to your questions. And he wants to talk to you about that. So come forward, pray. I'd love to talk with you. He is the author of your life. But then, on the other side, if you are a follower, but you find yourself distracted or even um, stuck, And, you know, distraction comes in many different ways, doesn't it? You know, we've got these things happening in our life. And they do distract us. They take our attention off God. And we think that this is the important things. Instead of getting it in the right order of having him first, allowing the other things. Sometimes we just become stuck. I know I just get stuck in things sometimes. It can be fear. And I feel like I can't move forward. Well, come and have prayer for fear. Or maybe sometimes it's like, I just get disorientated, you know. Um, It's like I'm in a fog and I just can't, I I know I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm, I'm just lost in the midst of the world because there's just so much. You know, if you're distracted, if you're stuck, if you're disorientated, God wants to work in your life. And let me just say, I think there's a fourth thing. Maybe you're just tired of the religious treadmill that you're on. 
And if that's the case, you need prayer for that too. Because God wants to break you free of that religious treadmill. There's more to life than just ticking the boxes. You need to realise this. When Jesus invites you to come, he also promises to provide all you need for the journey. All you need for the journey. And that's what I was trying to say when I was praying with my head in my hands and I said there must be more to their life than this. God has gone, yes, you need the spirit. You need his power to get you out of this mess you've got yourself into. And I needed to learn about who God was in his fullness. And that was when I learned that the Trinity revives me. I needed, as it is, all of God. He wants to talk to you, but you need to start the conversation. And that's what coming forward can be, can't it? Starting the conversation. That's where we need to go. The greatest thing about moving forward is that we have someone who's truly amazing to follow. I don't want to follow after things that lead me down dead ends. Following Jesus is no dead end. No dead end at all. So don't miss out. Let me pray. Great God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus had this conversation with this rich man. Now, we can replace riches with many other things that distract us. Father God, you know where we are at. You know our life. You know the, the journey we are on. And you know where you want to take us. May we consider what it means to follow you. May we start that conversation with you to unfold the gamut of newness and freshness and abundance that you have for us. As we regain our, our compass settings and get true north worked out so that we can follow after you and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.